Listeners be advised. This series contains conversations about mental health, trauma, sexual abuse, gun violence, and racism. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Joint Assembly Health and Housing Committee's informational hearing on the governor's proposal to modernize the behavioral health system in California. It's August 22nd, 2023 and mental health advocates from across California are crammed into a hearing room at the State Capitol Building in Sacramento. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to start things off. Uh, with Assemblymember Jim Wood, a Democrat representing a large swath of Northern California, opens the meeting. The proposal we are considering today will determine how our state will care for the housing and behavioral health needs of its most vulnerable populations. <laughs> Everyone is here because big changes could be coming to California's 2004 landmark bill, the Mental Health Services Act, or the MHSA. And the central debate today is this. Should 30% of MHSA dollars designated by law to pay for community mental health services be reallocated to fund housing and substance abuse treatment for the homeless? Essentially, all Californians experiencing homelessness need housing and income supports to support their transition back to permanent housing. Most of the people in the room agree that mental health, substance abuse, and homelessness are critical issues that sometimes overlap and need to be addressed. Governor Newsom has proposed what would be the largest expansion of California's behavioral health care system for the past seven years. But many advocates don't see the proposed changes as an expansion of the mental health programs their communities want. In fact, they view it as a troubling shift away from the kind of services that prevent substance abuse and homelessness in the first place. The subject has stirred much debate, the strongly held opinions by many and diverse stakeholders who have tackled these challenges every day to improve the health and living conditions of our most vulnerable. Opponents of the proposal say the state's plan could turn county-level prevention and early intervention programs into a crisis system meant to appease voters by cleaning up the streets. A lot has changed since the NHRA passed in 2004. On the plus side, we see renewed commitment across the state to better address behavioral health issues, and that's why we're all here today. From the beginning, a key feature of the MHSA has been the requirement that counties innovate and fund programs that are designed with full community participation. That means services that incorporate community culture and traditions delivered by people who are part of the community. Advocates like Kalechi Ubozo say the current proposal is being rushed through without enough community input. The architects of this bill do not look like the people they're trying to serve. And so it's been without community stakeholder involvement. It's happening at rapid speed. Kalechi is a mental health consultant and co-editor of the book, We've Been Too Patient. She's also a vocal supporter of community-driven mental health care. She's at the Capitol today to try to press upon state leaders the urgency of this movement. We're still having the wrong conversations. It took years to put together MHSA in the first place. So to dismantle it and reroute our entire system should not be something that happens in six months. In Kalechi's view, this entire process violates the original spirit of the MHSA. We have a saying in our work, nothing about us without us. This has been completely without us. From the California Pan-Ethnic Health Network, You're listening to A Right to Heal, a podcast about health equity in California. 
I'm your host, Akintunde Ahmad. As a journalist, I've been covering topics of mental health and health equity for some years. Through my work with Mindsight News, I've written about barbers as mental health intermediaries and covered the impact of universal basic income on the overall mental health of communities. I've also hosted another podcast with Studio To Be about sickle cell in Oakland and the battle for equitable health care. So when I learned about this story, I was intrigued from the jump, mostly because I truly didn't know how mental health services were being brought to communities in my home state of California. By any measure, mental health care in California is incredibly complex. So to get a better understanding, I spent this year visiting advocates across the state who are pushing to keep MHSA community-driven and community-focused. I am the executive director of True North Organizing Network and a Kaduk tribal member. I am the associate director for the Misteco Indigena Community Organizing Project, or MICOP, for short. I am the executive director for Be Smooth, Inc. I'm currently program manager for Painted Brains Medi-Cal Peer Support Specialist Certification Training Program. All of these providers wear many hats. They advocate for resources and manage budgets. They navigate federal, state, and county bureaucracies. And they deliver services that respect the diversity of needs and viewpoints within their communities. We'll learn how they do it in future episodes. We'll start, though, by hearing from two experts on mental health in California writ large. As we take this journey It's helpful to remember that this is a state with 25 million people from communities of color. 46% of the population speaks a language other than English at home, and 27% of residents are immigrants. The MHSA was designed to reflect California's diversity by listening to communities about what they want their mental health care to look like. Over the next five episodes, We're going to hear what's gotten better since the passage of MHSA, what hasn't, and what the proposed modernizing of state mental health policy will mean for all Californians. I was growing up in Georgia as a Black goth kid in the 90s, which I'm sure nowadays would be like a really cute Netflix film with like two seasons and a really strong fan base. That's Kalechi Ubozo again. But when I was growing up, it was just, it was just me. And I felt rejected by the Black community. I didn't fit in to my predominantly white school. And my grandmother was the only person who saw me. Although she was in Georgia, the MHSA led to a turning point in her life. I'm a suicide attempt survivor. And as a Black woman, I thought I was the only person who had these experiences. And I also found that the care I got was really, really difficult and wasn't really caring. So when I experienced my first mental health challenges at 13, um, I was told that I was broken. I was told I'd never get better. I was told that I probably wouldn't be able to hold a job. I wouldn't have relationships. I was really struggling with, do I want to be here? Do I want to stay on this earth? Kalechi says her grandmother's passing from cancer left her lost. I was in such grief, I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't just the grief. I'm a teenager struggling with identity. It was internalized racism. It was racism. It was everything happening at once. So I worked on my healing and I heard about 
the Mental Health Service Act of California. And I heard about this in 2012. And I said, you know what? I'm going to move across the country and I'm going to work in peer support with little to no experience, like literally no experience. I had never heard of peers before. I had always heard that to work in mental health, you had to be a therapist, you had to be a psychiatrist. And so when I heard that the Mental Health Service Act was actually hiring people who had lived experience of mental health issues and recovery to work in the mental health system, that was mind-blowing to me. And that's why I drove across the country. We'll come back to Kalechi in a minute. Real quick, though, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you know a lot about the Mental Health Services Act. But in case you don't, in 2004, California voters passed Proposition 63, the Mental Health Services Act, or MHSA. The law placed an annual 1% tax on incomes of a million dollars or more that would go to community mental health services. To date, the MHSA has generated more than $26 billion. 95% of MHSA dollars are allocated to county mental health systems, which in turn distribute the money to local agencies and organizations. MHSA funds are largely designated for services that are community-driven and culturally relevant. You know, it's hard. The Mental Health Service Act has a spirit and a belief system that is so beautiful. It really is trying to put the decisions in the hands of the community. If you talk to providers around the state, they'll tell you that the MHSA has provided a lot of hope in California and allowed them to help a lot of people. But they might also tell you about stubborn barriers to equity and resources that, at times, prevent them from delivering the services people need and want. So there's something called a community planning process. And those community stakeholders, those most impacted, those folks with lived experience, the family members, would be able to direct those services, direct where the funding goes. And, you know... To date, it's all over the place. Every county is different. Some people have a really robust stakeholder process that's involved, that's inclusive of multiple identities and languages, and really folks get to be part of the conversation, and some do not. So I think the intent is there, but holding systems accountable is challenging. Making sure that things are equitable is challenging. Equity is, in fact, At the heart of the MHSA, the law's authors were explicit that the best way to achieve it would be for counties to tailor services to the needs of specific communities, and not just communities based on geography or ethnicity or sexual orientation, but communities defined by shared experience. Of course, a common shared experience in communities of color is being pushed into services that don't fit their needs. A common narrative around communities of color and mental health is that stigma keeps people from seeking treatment and that the system needs to destigmatize mental health care to engage BIPOC communities. But Kalechi pushes back on that. It's not because people don't have needs. It's because the system and treatment a lot of times has been traumatic for people. And so we have to take the trauma out of the treatment or people don't want what we're giving them, right? It doesn't matter how great it is. It doesn't matter if I'm talking about peer support, but to tell these community folks, like, it's your stigma that's getting in the way. It's like, mm, 
Well, is it? What happened when you engaged in certain systems? What happened to you? What happened to your family members? There's a reason why people don't want to reach out for help if if we have lethal outcomes, right? So there's, we talk about stigma, but then what are we doing to actually like heal the trauma that happens to people when they enter the system? Again, it's about how we meet people's actual needs, not what state officials and the general public perceive the need to be. And Kalechi points to one initiative funded by the MHSA that she believes can get us there. You know, I have gotten to witness firsthand the beauty that is community-defined evidence practices or CDEPs. And I wish they were better funded, but they could not have existed on this scale without something that was transforming the mental health system. Community-defined evidence practices, also called CDEPs, are exactly what they sound like. Health and wellness programs created for communities by communities. For decades, mental health care and social services have been guided by so-called evidence-based practices, programs, and interventions mostly designed by researchers, clinicians, and academics who don't always share the lived experiences or even languages of the people they're trying to serve. CDEPs, Kalechi says, are the solution to that problem. You know, historically, we looked at mental health through really this white lens. And we didn't bring in, like, what are your cultural roots? What are your traditions that actually pour back into you? And I really have seen beautiful practices with the California Black Women's Health Network, these beautiful sister circles. I've seen different indigenous practices being brought in to work on mental health or open up. I mean, it has been astounding. Also, we've seen innovation, which is a component funded under a Mental Health Service Act, which is really intended to do something new and introduce something new. On the other hand, a lot of these times, these programs do great and they're a pilot program. It was like, we did this really great culturally relevant program for two years and now we're done. And so I think there has been a challenge with sustainability. That challenge looms large this year as the state's proposal to modernize MHSA could steer more money toward acute cases of mental illness and away from the kind of prevention and early intervention services that CDEPs have been shown to support. At this moment, innovation funding, I mean, it's about to potentially go away and innovation funding funds a lot of CDEPs. So we're in a really a pivotal moment. We have to fight for these CDEPs. We have the evidence that they work and I don't know if we have the funding to support them because of these big shifts. We'll hear more from Kalechi, but right now, let's take a minute to consider the political cross-currents affecting California's mental health systems. This process has been mind-boggling. That's Karis Myrick, an advocate who studies mental health policy across the state and the country. She's talking about California's plan to use mental health dollars to fund substance abuse treatment and housing for the chronically homeless. MHSA is like a bank or a wallet that the state is going to go into to solve really longstanding, and I hate to say quite complex, structural issues around housing and homelessness. I really think at the end of the day, we're using the money to solve a different problem that it was never really intended to solve initially. 
I think adding in substance use, that wasn't the intent of the Mental Health Services Act. It's not called the Behavioral Health Services Act. It's called the Mental Health Services Act. If there are changes in the funding structure of MHSA, which is now proposed, how will the community-based organizations, as well as the peer organizations, be able to sustain and maintain? Karis knows what's at stake. She has lived experience struggling with mental health and entering a system that she could not relate to. I was given a diagnosis of schizophrenia. The way that I entered into therapy made absolutely no sense to me. Like, what is this? You sit on a chair and I sit on a couch. I don't even know you. And I have to tell you my deepest, darkest personal secrets. Yeah, no, that's not how we do it. So in my family, we're going to do it in the kitchen at the kitchen table, eating some food, or we're going to do it, you know, every weekend at the beauty salon or the barbershop, you know, hanging out with people who look like us talking about our day-to-day things. But that's not how the mental health system itself is designed. People with lived experience who have been through coercive services talk about the trauma of coercion, whether it be being picked up by the police, being picked up by a CIT team, which is a co-responder model, being involuntarily hospitalized, or living in locked facilities. We talk about the trauma of those experiences, which isn't safe. It's not safe to be traumatized. Our lives really, really do matter. And we have to do so much better early, often, consistently, where people are in languages, in ways that they can engage in that sometimes will not look like the conventional stuff we think it will look like. Karis, like Kalechi, thinks the state's proposal is moving too fast and that it steps on a key component of the MHSA. Why isn't there time for robust community involvement, feedback? Why can't we work on that together to really, you know, create something that would be helpful to all of our communities? And that's just not happening. So it's that stakeholder involvement that was baked in. This violates all of that. It's like, we don't matter. Karis doesn't argue that homelessness and substance abuse aren't crisis-level problems, or that they don't overlap with mental illness. But she says the state's approach is putting money in politics before the people the MHSA was meant to serve. Here in California, you know, they have to pay attention to what their voters are saying. So, of course, they do polling and things like that to check on what should I be doing if I'm running for re-election? What should I be doing if I want to run for governor? What should I be doing if I want to run for president? Voters are saying, here's some of our major issues. One, homelessness. Two, community safety. You add them together and that equals mental illness. That that does not equal mental illness, but it's easy for the public to go, ooh, safety, mental illness. That's easy. That's, That's a connection. So then you go after mental illness. Sounds good, doesn't it? Where's the money coming from? Who's going to pay for that? They need a bank. They need a wallet. MHSA. You don't have to tax anybody. They're already taxed. So go after existing money. And this is an existing pot of money. We see visibly unhoused folks. They have severe needs. We've got to help them. That's Kalechi again. As the state's proposal has gained momentum, she's concerned that the political messaging around mental health lately has been, at least in part, misleading. And you hear someone say, we're going to fix this. We are going to give them services. We're going to get them off the street. We're going to do all these great things. I mean, it sounds amazing. And that's kind of the challenge is that If this goes to a ballot, I mean, any person would vote for that because 
they don't want to see people in distress. So we're in a challenge of politics because what looks visibly one way does not paint the entire picture. It's going to have devastating impacts, but people don't see prevention, right? That's the whole point of prevention is that you're preventing something. You see crisis and people want to respond to the crisis. Beyond the state and local politics, Kalechi says the political dynamics of the mental health system are affecting the messaging too. And if you're a county, that's your boss. The state is your boss, right? Are you going to speak up against them? You might have some feelings, but you have to be really careful because all of this is about relationships and contracts and, you know, being really careful about what we all say. I'm an independent consultant. I can say what I want, but I work with a lot of people who are working in systems trying to do good work and they cannot say what they actually think because it could impact their jobs. So I I think like the politics is really, really huge. Thanks for listening today. Coming up... The first psychiatrist who saw me after I left the hospital took one look at me, did not ask my opinion, turned to his nurse and said, get me the paperwork for Social Security and I'll sign off on whatever she needs. When I was 19, I decided I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to do it, you know, pull myself up by those bootstraps and do it just like everybody else. And my social worker said I was being foolish. On the next episode of A Right to Heal... A Right to Heal is a production of Studio to Be Seattle for the California Panethnic Health Network. The series is produced by Akintunde Ahmad, Trey Bundy, and Chloe Behrens. Trey Bundy is our editor. Mixing and sound design by Alec Cowan. Original music by Elena Penderhughes. Carolina Valle and Mihai Jung Lozano are executive producers for the California Panethnic Health Network. Joaquin Alvarado is executive producer for Studio To Be Seattle. Mihai Jung Lozano and Carolina Valle are executive producers for CPIN. See you next time.